BCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. And friends, we do thank you for joining us on Crosstalk here on VCY America. My friend, there are some very startling matters that are happening in our culture. I mean, recently we reported on this survey, and some doubt the, the, you know, the numbers that they're coming up with, but they are indicating that nearly 30% of Gen Zers are identifying as LGBTQ+. In some areas, social services are removing minor children from parents because they believe parents are not affirming. The Daily Caller is running a story today that, according to audio that they obtained of a psychologist at a medical training summit in 2022, this psychologist indicated that it is parents who do not affirm their child's gender identity have a mental illness. It's the parents that have a mental illness. What's happening? That is bringing about this brainwashing. And it's not just this issue. Indoctrination is happening in our society where it's socialism that's being promoted as something good while capitalism is being promoted as evil. Our society teaches that taking an unborn baby's life is good, but it's abusive to women to protect the life in the womb. Consider what's happening in religious circles just this morning. I received an email speaking of research from George Barna and the Cultural Research Center indicating preteens are on track to abandon biblical Christianity in record numbers. What's happening? Did you know there's a socialist by the name of Antonio Gramsci who wrote this? In the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. The prophet Isaiah wrote, as recorded in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what's taking place. Our guest today is with us to discuss how to brainwash a nation, psychological operations, and the weaponization of marketing techniques to promote socialist political agendas. It's our privilege to welcome back William J. Federer. He's a nationally known speaker, historian, author, and president of Amerisearch Incorporated, the speaker on the American Minute Daily Broadcast. He's authored numerous books, including America's God and Country, Encyclopedia of Quotations, Who is the King in America, and Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present, How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crisis to Consolidate Control. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Jim, great to be with you. So, Bill, we are really witnessing the transformation of a nation. It's happening right before our very eyes. Uh, This is, I'm convinced it's not by accident, but it's intentional, using techniques of uh, deception and manipulation for purposes of control. Uh, I think it's really be important that we're attuned to how this is occurring and and how this can be thwarted. But, Bill, we're we're seeing just a a complete uh, 180 degree from how this nation was founded. Well, definitely. And I wrote a book. It's called Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. And the subtitle is How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. But a chapter in there, I go through this uh, ability to brainwash a nation. And you're a spirit-minded body, right? Each of us are a spirit-minded body, the old YMCA triangle. And our, our body is naturally drawn away from God, original sin, Adam and Eve, and our spirit loves God, and the mind is the battlefield. It's the switch that decides, is it going to be the spirit or the body? And so the battles for the mind, interesting, Carl von Clausewitz was a 19th century military theorist in Europe, and he gave the classic definition of the purpose of war, to force your opponent to submit to your will. Pretty simple. So you go through all this problem of shooting them and guns and battlefield uh, strategies. Why? Because you want your opponent to submit to your will. Uh, Now, Sun Tzu's Art of War, he was a 5th century B.C. Chinese military strategist. And he gives all this war advice, always try to get the upper ground, never fight in front of a river. 
But then he says, supreme excellence in a commander consists of breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. Hmm. So if you're a really, really good general, you'll get your enemy to surrender without a fight. You psych them out. You make them think you're bigger than you are. You move your troops around. You make them think you're everywhere. Now it is called fifth-generation warfare, where you get your enemy to surrender without them even being aware that they're in a war. If the purpose is to get them to submit to your will, what if you could get them to submit without them even waking up and realizing they're in a war? And so the battle is for the mind and to get them to submit. Now, the history goes back, uh, there's Bible stories where the 12 spies went into the promised land, 10 Mm -hmm. came back with a negative report, and they spread that negative report. We are not able to go up against the people. They're too strong for us. Uh, The land devours the inhabitants thereof. They're giants. We're grasshoppers. And they spread fear so much that the people said, let's stone Moses, let's elect somebody else, and let's go back. And Joshua and Caleb run and says, "Uh, we can take it, possession. Um, So don't rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people. They'll be our prey. And and, uh, God struck those 10 spies that gave the negative report dead on the spot. And then he said, okay, you're going to wander for 40 years. It was serious. But they were defeated in their mind. They, They never got to the battlefield to fight those people. They got this negative report, they panicked, and they were defeated in their mind. And then you have a reverse story where the Israelites got it right. Uh, Gideon, there's uh, 100,000 Midianites invade. Gideon gets 30,000 Israelites. And God said, too many, tell everyone that is scared to go home. Now he's down to 10,000 against 100,000. 10 to 1, but God said, still too many. Go drink from a creek and whittles it down to 300. Mm -hmm. And then God rolls up his sleeves and says, watch this. And Gideon, with his 300, break the uh, the vases, blow the horns, have their torches. And they just stand there while these Midianites get up in the dark in the middle of the night, bump into each other, and start fighting each other. They're they're defeated in their mind. It wasn't Gideon that went in and killed 100,000 of them. He just did the psychological... And so the battle is for the mind. And uh, during World War II, we dropped pamphlets out of airplanes on German villages, written in German, and they would say, your side has already lost, your commander just hasn't told you yet. Hmm. And so they're out on the field, like, oh, well, why are we fighting? I read that we already lost. And, and it would demoralize them. And then the Japanese did it to us with Tokyo Rose. This woman that had a seductive voice and the radio waves would carry across the Pacific. And she'd say, you Americans are doing terrible things. You're horrible. And it would demoralize our guys. It was the battle for the mind. And so in the book, I get into this. And believe it or not, it begins with marketing of products. And if you want, I can get into that. Yeah, let's do it, Bill, because, I mean, it's helpful for us to understand why are things happening the way they are today? What's unfolding for us? So, yes, let's take us to the to the 1900s and these marketing tactics. So in you begin with Wells Fargo Wagon and Sears Catalog, hmm. and they would list every single detail about a Singer sewing machine, and you would make a very informed purchase. But then in the early 1900s, you had someone named Edward Bernays. And his uncle was Sigmund Freud, the psychoanalyst, who discovered that we are social creatures and that we will do what we see other people doing. And, and excuse me. <clears throat> and so it was a manipulation of the, the perception of what other people are purchasing. So, for example, Crisco. Nobody knew what was in Crisco. They even invented a term, vegetable-based and they marketed it so well, it put out of business the lard industry. And uh, do you know what's in Crisco? It's cottonseed oil. In the deep south, they would harvest cotton and have mountains of black seeds, and they would mush it into this mucky black oil that they would use in machinery and in factories. Nobody ate that stuff. But somebody had the idea of bleaching it, put it in these containers with this nice ad campaign in the magazines, and we've all eaten it. And so you go from knowing everything about a sewing machine to nothing about a product, and you're ingesting it, putting it into your body, 
and this was uh, there's a cartoon at this time in New York, Keeping Up with the Joneses. Yep. And it's sort of this humorous of, you know, the people buying stuff because their neighbor has it, not because they know anything about it. So Edward Bernays, uh, he even talks about women's shoes. He said, women go into a department store and think they are picking out shoes. They're not. The marketing executive picked out the shoes for them, paid the actors to put the shoes on, paid the photographer to take the pictures, paid the magazine to put in the ads, and the women see the ads and want it. And uh, he said, he says, a larger manufacturer of women's shoes as a popular actress, wear the shoes, the fashion spreads. The man who injected this idea into the shoe industry was ruling women in one department of their social lives. Today, the minority has discovered a powerful help in influencing the majority to mold the minds of the masses. They find in propaganda, a tool which is increasingly powerful, regimenting the public mind. So Edward Bernays pioneered smoking cigarettes and women's cigarettes. So they had the suffrage movement, right? Women wanting to vote. And he paid a bunch of women to stand in these suffrage parade and pull out cigarettes and smoke them. And the news media picked it up and lo and behold, it associated smoking cigarettes with women's independence and being the boat. And he, he capitalized on this emotion. Now he changed the name from propaganda to public relations. Hmm. That was a little more palatable. And so we're a government, a declaration of independence says we are a government from the consent of the governed. But what if you could engineer the consent of the governed. So he wrote a book called The Engineering of Consent. Manipulation of the opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of the country. Edward Bernays goes on, the engineering of consent is the very essence of a democratic process, the freedom to persuade and suggest he writes another book called The Crystallizing of Public Opinion. Somebody else, Norm Chomsky, writes a book called Manufacturing Consent. And Oswald Spengler, uh, who was a German historian, wrote in 1923, democracy has become a weapon of the moneyed interests. It uses the media to create the illusion that there is consent of the governed. Hmm. The press today is an army of carefully organized weapons, the journalists, its officers, the readers, its soldiers. The reader neither knows nor is supposed to know the purposes for which he is used and the role he is to play. Democracy is often a government of wealthy elites, the people that can, that can buy the public opinion companies and the marketing companies and all that. And um, so, so the history goes on. And t- tell you what, Bill, this yeah. we're at a stopping point right here because we're up against a break. Uh, Bill Fitter is with us today, and uh, we're talking about this matter of uh, how to brainwash a nation. And he's telling us the techniques that have been utilized here. And and uh, you know, we're hearing about the changing of propaganda to public relations and the media to give this illusion of uh, you know the. Uh, uh, of, of, of consent, you know, here of the governed. And so we're going to pick up with that right after the break. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist and creation researcher with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, just how intelligent were the Neanderthal people? Chris, the Neanderthals were people just like me and you. They were descendants of at least one of the tribes that migrated away from the Tower of Babel. Perhaps they lived in harsh conditions, but they were fully human. Archaeologists have even found that they had musical instruments, using the hollowed-out bones of animals perforated with holes like a flute. When replicas of these are made, it's found that they used the same musical scale that we use today. Mostly, they preferred minor keys. Of course, even the Israelites are known for their songs in minor keys, producing beautiful but haunting melodies. You see, Chris, even Neanderthals go back to Genesis, and so should we. To equip yourself with facts that support your faith, visit us on the web at www.icr.org. That's www.icr.org.
William J. Fitterer, our guest here today on Crosstalk, How to Brainwash a Nation, and helping us to understand tactics that have been utilized in the past, and uh, certainly with the lesson for us of today as well. And uh, we're talking today with Bill Fitterer, who is a nationally known speaker, historian, author, and president of AmeriSearch. And uh, by the way, he's referenced his book, Socialism, and you will find information on this very topic in his book and so much more. Uh, it uh, d- subtitled the How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. Uh, we are making this uh, book available, our way of saying thank you for your support of $18 or more to Crosstalk. It's available online at vcy.org, vcy.org, or you may reach out to our switchboard at 1-800-729-9829. Ask for a copy of Socialism, one 800 729 9829. So, Bill, if you would continue on this this walk through history here to help us understand this methodology of how to brainwash a nation, and let's uh, pick up with, uh, well, the Spanish-American War. So, we had Cuba, which was just 90 miles off the coast of Florida, and Spain was trying to crush a rebellion. They rounded up 250,000 people and put them into stockades and concentration camps, basically. And they were starving, and there was a cry for America to get involved. But the public wasn't interested because we just got through the Civil War. And so you had William Randolph Hearst, and he had his New York Journal newspaper, and Joseph Pulitzer, the Pulitzer Prize was named after him. Mm -hmm. He has his newspaper called the New York World, and they would print articles on why America should get involved, come to the rescue of these Cubans. But the Printing was done on inexpensive newspaper that would turn yellow after a couple of days. And so they called it yellow press journalism. Mm. And one of the stories, Hearst sent his illustrator, Frederick Remington, to Cuba because they didn't have the ability to print photographs. They had to have an artist draw etchings and they could print those. And so Hearst Cables Remington, excuse me, in 1897, said, you furnish the pictures and I'll furnish the war. In other words, you give me these pictures of these starving people in these stockades and I'll stir up the country. But it was the press beginning to realize how much power they really had. And, um, you know, the influencing of a country that has a king, you have to get in to see the king. So in China, the emperor would have 2,000 concubines and his Mandarin eunuchs. And if you wanted to see the emperor, you would bribe these Mandarin eunuchs and they would arrange for you to meet the emperor and you could pitch your agenda. But in a country where there is no emperor, no king, where the people are in charge, like Athens, where they had a democracy, if you have an agenda, how do you pitch it to the whole city? That's when the Greeks invented theater. Theater had a political purpose, and they would put on plays, satires, comedies, tragedies, where they would ridicule and buffoon certain points of view and honor and extol other points of view. And you read the comedies like Aristophanes. It's like Saturday Night Live. They're making fun of living politicians at that time, just ribbing them, making them look like fools. And you leave the theater thinking, man, I feel sorry for that guy. And you back away from them and everything they stand for. And then in the tragedies, they'd have somebody die doing some noble act, and you would leave the theater and say, man, I want to be remembered like that guy. Mm. And so from that time till now, theater, media, Hollywood is always political in a country where it's the people that are the king. So think of your favorite sitcom or movie or show. There's a character you identify with. They're cute. They're funny. They're the hero. And as this series goes on, the, the main character that you like begins to make morally compromising decisions. A little cheating here, a little lust there, a little revenge. And and you find yourself apologizing for him, saying, yeah, I know James Bond is with a woman he's not married to, but he's about to save the world. So can we get on with the story? And it minimizes something that used to be important to you, Mm -hmm. marital fidelity. And then they make people that hold old traditional values look like bumpkins and simpletons and idiots, and they ridicule them, and they look like fools and hateful, and you turn off the TV and say, yeah, that, that person did look old-fashioned and a little bit stodgy, and, and you end up backing away from everything they did. And you say, well, I don't want to be like that. And the other ones, they'll take a character that has these alternative views and make him into the hero. 
and you'll say, yeah, I want to wear their cologne and I want to wear their tennis shoes and so forth. And um, so Will and Ariel Durant were historians that wrote a series where they examined centuries of world history. And they said, Doc, democracy is the most difficult of all forms of government since it requires the widest spread of intelligence. Ignorance lends itself to manipulation by the forces that mold public opinion. Hmm. You know, even in the Bible, we see molding of public opinion. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and they're praising him on Palm Sunday, Hosanna in the highest, but the Pharisees don't like that. And so they arrest Jesus, they put him before Pilate, and it says the Pharisees went among the people and stirred them up to cry out for Barabbas instead and to crucify Jesus. And so you had a majority, the people, being manipulated by the minority, these chief priests, to kill Jesus. So we see this minority manipulating the majority throughout history. And um, Mm. you had mentioned Antonio Gramsci. Now, who is he? So after World War II, you had communism, Russia. And some, like Stalin, wanted to conquer the West with tanks. And Antonio Gramsci said, you won't be able to defeat the West with tanks. You got to do it slow. You have to rot the West from the inside. It's called the long march through the institutions. So Antonio Gramsci writes in his prison notebooks, 1937, the civilized world has been thoroughly saturated with Christianity for 2000 years. Any country grounded in Judeo-Christian values cannot be overthrown until those roots are cut. Socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. In the new order, socialism will triumph by capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, media, transforming the consciousness of society. And that's what we see happening. So back up, Judeo-Christian values, if I were to use one word to describe that, it's individual, that you have a worth because you individually are made in the image of the creator. And this creator is not a respecter of persons. Socialism is a group thing. And that's every other culture is a group thing. They call it honor, shame culture. If if your group honors you, your worth goes up. If your group shames you, your worth goes down. Islam has the Ummah, the community. Uh, If a Muslim male um, has a daughter that embarrasses him in front of his group, he'll murder his own daughter. Um, Hinduism, you have the major castes, the Brahmin at the top, the untouchables at the bottom that need to clean the sewers. Your worth is dependent on what group you're associated with, Communist Party. If you're a CCP member in China, you're worth more if you're not. Right? And, and so the Judeo-Christian values is you have a worth irregardless of what group. But we're moving away from that. It's now called intersectionality or critical race theory. And if you belong to all these little minority groups, your worth goes up. It's not based on you being an individual. And so they've been infiltrating the schools, infiltrating the churches, infiltrating the media. And it's not just hearsay. In 1963, Congressman Albert Herlong of Florida read into the congressional record the 45 tactics the communists would use to infiltrate America. Mm -hmm. And so he reads, capture one or both political parties, get control of the schools, use them as transmission belts for socialism and communist propaganda, get control of teachers association, Uh, put party line in the textbooks, use student riots to foment public protests, infiltrate the press, gain control of key positions in radio and TV, infiltrate the churches, Replace revealed religion with social religion. That's where you begin to see the social justice. Instead of preaching the gospel, we're all sinners, we need Jesus to go to heaven. No, it's just social justice. And then it says infiltrate the unions and then infiltrate big business. Now, we've always thought of big business on one side and the government on the other. Not anymore. You have BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, these asset management companies that control trillions of dollars of wealth. And they're woke and they're globalists and they take people's money, the way it works is you have your retirement and you maybe own some stock, let's say Exxon or Amazon. You're not going to take time off to travel and go to a stockholder meeting. So you check the proxy box 
and the asset management company, BlackRock, Satrick, Vanguard, shows up at the stockholder meeting with thousands of proxy votes, and they basically dictate to the company, you are going to push the transgendered. You're going to push DEI. You're going to push ESG. You're going to hire, uh, you know, diversity. You're going to, you know, have the Mulvaney do uh, trans commercials for Budweiser. You're going to, um, you know, have Target, you know, with the bathrooms. And, and, and so they're pushing their agenda. And the, the businesses have to go to the banks. And the banks have to go to these big asset management companies and the, the money that they control. And so now they're even forcing little businesses to say, you have to abide by these diversity, equity, inclusion standards, or you're not going to get a loan. We're not just going to check your credit. We're going to check your social credit score. And so they've infiltrated the, the media. And um, so it's this battle for the mind. There's um, another aspect to it. It's not just manipulating current news. It's manipulating past news, which we call history. So this manipulation in the short run, it's news. In the long run, it's history. Uh, it's it, almost like a domino effect. So the country is controlled by laws. Laws are controlled by politicians. Politicians are controlled by voters. Voters are controlled by public opinion. You can't vote for what you don't know about, and it's the media that tells you. And so public opinion is controlled by the media in the short run, education in the long run, churches to a lesser extent, but still there, and then the Internet, because all three of them use the Internet to communicate. And now with the AI and these computers, yeah. they can censor uh, Internet communications in real time. And so whoever controls the Internet, whoever controls the churches, that's why they want to make, make them woke, uh, whoever controls education, whoever controls the media, controls the country. And so friends, politics is downstream from culture. Yeah, and friends, that's what we're witnessing right now. Bill, we're just a minute to break, and I know there's another element in all of this, too, and, and that's the word fear, is it not? Yes, yes. And the um, 1938, you had Orson Welles and the radio drama War of the Worlds, and he's on his uh, radio. We interrupt this program to announce that New Jersey's being invaded hmm. by Martians. Oh, yeah. And everyone in the country panics, runs outside, looks up in the sky. It was a phenomenon, this fear that immediately captured the entire country. It's been studied over and over. How, how did you get the entire country to re react immediately? And it's fear. So now you mix together people doing things that they see other people doing with this public opinion, and you add in the element of fear. Now it becomes really potent. And uh, this is what was studied during World War II by Joseph Goebbels, who was the Nazi minister of propaganda. And so with the fear of the war, he would orchestrate these Coliseum events with 100,000 people, and they would begin to give the Hitler salute in the front, and it would work its way back like a wave at a football game. Bill, let's, let's would see it getting closer. We're going to pick up with that right after the break. Uh, Bill Federer was with us today, Joseph uh, Goebbels, and uh, yeah, we're going to learn about this 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 uh, flag, the salute that was given to Hitler, and uh, how it made its way through the crowds. Uh, this is Crosstalk on VCY America. We're learning today, and Bill addressing the topic seen from history past: how to brainwash a nation. We'll be right back. There is no heartache equal to that of losing a loved one to suicide. Unanswered questions, despair, and perhaps self-blame can leave those behind with feelings of hopelessness. But true hope and help can be found in Christ alone. In the booklet Hope Beyond Despair, author Julie Gossick shares from personal experience how the truth of Scripture and the hope of the Gospel can bring comfort to those who are living in the aftermath of suicide. She addresses what the Bible has to say on this issue and provides a lasting hope based on biblical principles. The book Hope Beyond Despair is available from VCY for a donation of $6 or three copies for a donation of $15. Just ask for Hope Beyond Despair when you call with your gift at 1-800-729-9829. You may also write VCY America, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Five three two zero eight. 
Yeah, friends, a lot of manipulation going on. Infiltration that's taking place. It's happening in the schools. It's happening in churches. It's happening in media. It's happening in the theater, uh, so to speak. And uh, that manipulation going on, a battle for the mind is taking place here and how to brainwash a nation. And uh, we're just in this aspect of fear, because if we can keep people afraid, we can control them. Let's let's just visit back here to what happened during COVID. If we if we can get everybody to be fearful, hence the government can have control. And that's even what we're seeing take place, even as we're told about this uh, disease X, you know, coming up for the future as well. Let me just mention so many of the issues we're talking about here today, the, the concepts, the uh, e- even the communist goals that Bill referred to. Uh, are outlined in his book entitled Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present, but it's how the deep state capitalizes on crises to consolidate control. And friends, we're seeing this happen right before our very eyes. Uh, The book itself is uh, just over 275 pages, lots of information, lots of documentation. We are making the book available. Our way of saying thank you for your support of $18 or more. It's available online at vcy.org, vcy.org, or you may reach out to us here at 1-800-729-9829, 729-9829. Bill, just before the break, you were introducing us here to Joseph Goebbels and, and, and about that wave that was making its way through this stadium. So go ahead and pick up where you, where you left off there. So he had the two ingredients. He had the fear of the war with everybody's doing it. And you would see this pledging of your allegiance to Hitler and the the Hitler salute, and it would be working its way through the crowd, getting closer and closer to you, and then you would feel pressured to give it, and then the person next to you would see you give it, and they'd feel pressured to give it, and everyone would leave this stadium all behind Hitler. And it's like, how did you manipulate an entire nation? Joseph Goebbels said, it is the absolute right of the state to supervise the formation of public opinion. Hmm. Think of the press as a great keyboard on which the government can play. And uh, even Kissinger said, uh, it's not a matter of what is true that counts, but a matter of what is perceived to be true. So it's, again, a battle for perception. One of the ingredients that we have to make notice of is psychological projection. And so this is where they blame you for what they're guilty of. Little kids do it. I didn't start the fight. You did. A cheating spouse will accuse the faithful spouse of being unfaithful. Potiphar's wife in the Bible accused Joseph of lusting after her when she was lusting after him. So it's the narcissistic psychological response of a guilty person to blame the person that caught them of what they're guilty of. So Adam sinned, but he blame shifted and said to God, well, it's the woman you gave me. So from the very first sin, you got this blame shifting. David Axelrod was a campaign advisor to President Obama in an NPR radio, April 19, 2010. He said, in Chicago, there was an old tradition of throwing a brick through your own campaign office window and then calling a press conference to say you've been attacked. (laughs) So you do the corrupt stuff, but you blame the innocent side. And so it's gotten into politics. Um, Nancy Pelosi called it the wrap-up smear. Yep. She said, it's a diversionary tactic. You demonize, and then you the wrap-up smear. You smear somebody with falsehoods, and then it's reported in the press. Mitt Romney, he lied about, um, excuse me, um, Harry Reid lied and said Mitt Romney did not pay his taxes. And then Time Magazine, after the election, is interviewing Harry Reid. And they said, we checked. Uh, Romney did pay his taxes. And Harry Reid said, yeah, I lied about it, but he didn't win, did he? Oh, wow. In other words, there's yeah. no God, there's no right and wrong. Yeah. It, it's a tactic and it works. So yeah. let's say there's a Secretary of State and she approves transferring a fifth of the U.S. uranium to Russia. At the same time, there is $145 million that get donated to her Clinton Foundation. And uh, so clearly there's some collusion with Russia going on. Well, she pays for a steel dossier to accuse her opponent of colluding with Russia when she's caught. Uh, the Gateway Pundit has the article, Hillary Clinton campaign pays $113,000 FEC fine in admission of guilt for producing the Steele dossier. So here she, the whole thing, Trump had to go through impeachment trials and she just made it up. 
So let's say there's another candidate who is uh, extorting Ukraine, saying, stop investigating my son or I'm going to hold back billions of dollars. Well, they want to accuse his opponent of extorting Ukraine. Uh, let's say there's a, uh, a, a president that has uh, classified documents in his garage next to his Corvette. Clearly, it's illegal. And it, if it comes to the press, it's going to be bad. But they staged an intentional raid on Trump's classified documents that the FBI knew, everybody knew it was there just for the headline purposes. So they accused Trump of what Biden was guilty of. Yeah. And then when it finally comes out that Biden and Pence and other people had classified documents, well, by that time, it's old news, right? It's water. It, it, the water's muddied. And, and so this tactic is used every day. They accuse Christians of wanting to set up uh, Christian nationalism when they're the ones that are wanting to set up this nationalism, the woke nationalism. They're wanting to say, well, you know, Christians want to force their beliefs on people. It's like, well, really, you can't force freedom of religion on people. You can't really force freedom of conscience and, <laughs> and freedom of the press and freedom of the assembly. You can't force freedom. But Christians just want freedom. That's all. But yet they're wanting to yeah. force their transgendered views. And, uh, Bill, critical, and, and that's even how I started the program today about this psychologist at this medical training summit indicating it's parents who don't affirm their child's gender. They're the ones with a mental illness. Yeah, they, they, they're blaming us for exactly what they're doing, and we need to make this clear so that it pulls the curtain back on the Wizard of Oz, right? You know, there's just an old man there. But this manipulation of public opinion in schools is called social-emotional learning. Uh, little kids want to be accepted. They don't want to be rejected. And using that, the teacher will ridicule a child that holds old-fashioned views and to, so much that everybody backs away from him and everything he stands for. And then the teacher will uh, honor and give affirmation to the kids that are adopting these new trans views. And they're manipulating these children. And it is uh, done uh, behind the scenes. And they tell the kids, don't tell your parents about this. But it's a brainwashing technique. Uh, we want to be accepted during the Korean War. Uh, they realize that they take a prisoner and isolate him for months until he gets to this emotional, vulnerable spot where he just wants to communicate with people, just wants to slap on, be part of the buddies, you know. And when he's at this vulnerable spot, they bring him into a room full of people who have already caved. And before they can be accepted in the group and get that emotional support, they have to reject America. Mm. And when they finally say, okay, yeah, America's bad, then they get accepted. And it went into their psyche. So even after they, after they were rescued, they still hated America. Wow. Like, what happened to these people? So they apply it nationally. You isolate the entire nation. You lock them down in their homes, social distance them. And until they just crave, I just want to get back to normal. I just want to go back shopping again. I just want to have to go to a restaurant. And what there's an emotional vulnerable spot they say okay you can but you got to take this shot you got to wear this mask you got to just track us everywhere you have to give up all your freedoms to get back to that norm of just having this relationships and, and so they're manipulating this uh and it's done every day uh one of the experiments was called the solomon ash conformity experiment after world war ii they said were all the germans bad how did they end up being manipulated so the solomon ash conformity experiment was done in the 60s and they would doing on college campuses, they would pull eight students into a room. Seven had been paid ahead of time to be actors. One was a naive participant. And the teacher would put two cards on the front desk. One card had one line and the other three lines, one longer, one shorter, one the same. And one by one, the paid actors would say that the shorter line was equal to the first line. By the time it got around to the eighth naive participant, 30% of them would deny their own eyes to fit in with the group. They're looking at the lines. They are not equal, but they're going to doubt their perception. These other people must know than I do. Now, if only one other person objects, it goes from 30% down to 5%. But this, uh, this desire to be accepted is in the Bible. Peter's with a group around a fire, and a girl gets in his face and says, you are with Jesus, and you can just picture Peter looking around the fire, and everybody's eyeing him, and he's about to get kicked out of the group, and he says, I never met the guy. <laughs> it's like, that's it, Peter. You came. Uh, it, it is a real fear of being kicked out of a group. Now, after the resurrection, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Sanhedrin said, we're going to kick you out of the group. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. And Peter said, it's better to obey God rather than men. Yeah, amen. It's only when you have a relationship with God do you have backbone to say, I don't care about what other people think about me. It's the same attitude that we had from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, isn't it? 
Yes, yes. Hmm. So I think God is pushing the world to this decision-making moment. Um, there's one other quick experiment. Uh, Chuck Colson talked about it, a wine tasting. Everybody was in on it except one naive couple. They poured vinegar in the, in the wine. And this couple writes, this tastes terrible. Well, one by one, the other couples would say, oh, this was great. It had character. It was robust. And it got around to, the, to that naive couple. They scratched out what they wrote, and they agreed with the group. Yeah, it tasted okay. Well, when somebody said all they did was pour vinegar in the wine, the couple that had changed their views criticized the person for saying they poured vinegar in. And it's a phenomenon called false enforcement. Once people buy into the lie, they will help enforce that other people buy into the lie. Wow. Like wow. a ripple effect. You know, they don't know why they're wearing something on their face, but they're going to pull out their phone and say, you're not wearing it on your face, but they don't know any of the science that right. it's actually unhealthy because you're breathing exhaust fumes, you know. Bill Federer with us here today on Crosstalk. I'd like to open our phone lines. Maybe you've got a question you'd like to ask, Bill, on this topic here on how to brainwash a nation. But we see that manipulation taking place through all the, all these different means uh, and uh, the infiltration that's happening uh, within the education system, within churches, within the media, within entertainment. Uh, it is underway. Our phone number to Crosstalk, 800-733-9829. That's one 800 Seven three three nine eight two nine. That whole aspect of projection, where you're accusing your opponent of something that you are doing yourself, friends. We we could speak for days on what's happening within politics on that aspect as well. So uh, we take your calls, your questions here today. Eight hundred seven three three nine eight two nine for a crosstalk. And uh, don't forget about uh, Bill's book on socialism, how the deep state capitalizes on crises to consolidate control. Uh, We're making that available our way of saying thank you for your support of $18 or more here in support of Crosstalk. You can reach out to our uh, on our website at vcy.org. That's vcy.org. Or you may call 1-800-729-9829. We're going to squeeze our first call in before the break. And uh, Wayne, go ahead from South Dakota. You're on the air. Hi, thank you. Uh, I grew up in a rural area, started school in a little country school. We moved to a large town when I was in second grade. And there was this one little girl who was kind of homely and poorly dressed, all this. And like the whole class, it was a game of tag, but it was a Jones. It's not a real name. Jones Fleas. Well, I knew it was wrong, but I also knew I didn't want to be the, the object of the mm. game. Yeah. So I played along, and I knew it was wrong, but I didn't want to be singled out. So, yeah, what Bill's saying today, yeah. I knew when I was six years old. Yeah. So. Thank, thank you, Wayne. Uh, Bill, that's an interesting analogy there. You know, a water molecule is an individual water molecule, but you put it with other water molecules and they operate as a group through waves and clouds. A fish in a bowl, but you put it with other fish, fish, they operate in a group. A bird in a cage, but you put it with other birds, they operate as a group. We're individuals, but you put us with other individuals and we operate a group. We're we're constantly giving and receiving feedback. Are we being accepted or are we being rejected? Mm -hmm. And they've manipulated that through the perception of what is acceptable, and it's done through the media now. Yeah, friends, it's happening, and uh, what often works in an individual will work on a group. What works in a group will work on a nation. We'll be back with more of your calls following the break. This is Crosstalk on VCY America. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. In my second book that came out in 1995, I had an entire chapter on something known as the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. By UN, obviously, that's the United Nations. In that book, I was warning about a global treaty that many nations were signing on to that would destroy the God-given parental authority we have so enjoyed here in America. Many nations have signed on to it. America is one of the last nations not to do so. Well, over the years, I've been warning that it looks like the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child is being implemented piecemeal by many state legislatures as they undermine parental authority. The latest, Montana CPS takes 14-year-old girl to Wyoming for gender transition, so-called, against her parents' wishes. Sadly, we are seeing the globalists accomplish their goal of attacking God-given parental authority.
How to brainwash a nation. Our topic today, William J. Fitterer is our guest, and we're going right back to the phone lines. Uh, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Scott, thanks for calling Crosstalk. You're on the air. Yeah, I had a question. Didn't the uh, last uh, psychological operations uh, go mainstream with the National Defense Authorization Act of fiscal year 2013? Because there was a lot of uh, public concerns raised about the passage uh, uh, because the relaxation of prohibitions on domestic propaganda, which they could distribute propaganda like wartime propaganda to domestic audiences. Right. So you had, during the Cold War, the CIA was headed up by Alan Dulles, and he wanted to awaken America to the threat of the Soviets because we were asleep after the World War II. And so it's called Operation Mockingbird. And Carl Bernstein of the Washington Post, famous for Watergate, Carl Bernstein did an interview with the Rolling Stone magazine 1977 called The CIA and the Press. And he said that the CIA has 400 assets in the media, in the press, in the people like Walter Cronkite, and they're, they're paying them under the table saying, this is the message that we want you to get out. Now, when they were caught, the CIA says, okay, we're going we're gonna to stop that project. It's like, yeah, who believes that? And then in 2016, President Obama authorized the Countering Foreign Influence and Propaganda Act. And so Obama specifically brought back empowering the government to monitor and manipulate the news media and the internet, the TikTok, all that to push the government narrative. Wow. And so Senator Rand Paul was drilling Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas about what? A disinformation governance board. This was May 4th of 2022. And Rand Paul says, do you know who the greatest propagator of disinformation in the history of the world is? The U.S. government. Yeah. This is Rand Paul talking. I think you've got no idea what disinformation is. Do you know what the what the greatest propagator? He said, are you familiar with McNamara, Pentagon Papers, George W. Bush, weapons of mass disruption? Are you familiar with Iran-Contra? I don't want the government guardrails. I don't want you to have uh, anything to do with speech. Do you think the American people are so stupid they need you to tell them what truth yeah. is? I don't trust government to figure out what the truth is. Government is largely disseminating disinformation. Wow, wow. It's so there. Senator Rand Paul grilling Mayorkas. Let's go to John in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. You're on the air, John. Yeah, I just wanted to share something. It's very interesting because I remember growing up being a Vietnam veteran and listening to the news, and, and I became a believer. And I recall in the 90s when I would watch American news, I just couldn't watch it anymore. So I actually went to PBS hmm. because they had the German news. It was called German Wave. Deutsche Welle, and it was so interesting because you could watch the news, they would tell you world events and leave it open to you to make your own opinion. And then when they had a change in government, I think it was Helmut Kohl who was finally retired, and they had, I think it was, they called him Sernsan Schroeder, uh, TV Schroeder. Uh, Gerhard Schroeder came in. There's a whole <clears throat> change in that uh, organization, Deutsche Welle, yeah. and the news just went from being very open there where you could make an opinion to being just closed, and they were telling you what to think. Yeah. I just wanted to make that comment. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jeff, also from the Falls, you're on the air. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with your guest, and it perfectly mirrors the way Donald Trump has deceived the Christian right. The Christian right has completely given up its faith in Jesus Christ and exchanged it for, the, for faith in mm-hmm. a perverted I, I disagree man. with you. I disagree with you. I think it's Biden, and I think it's woke people that have deceived the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Agree with uh, it's that called the rule too. of tacit I, I, admission. Agree with that too. And if you what are is... silent in a, when there's a wedding vow, your silence is giving consent to the wedding vows. If you are silent when there's corrupt stuff going on, and you don't say anything about it, try to stop it, you are guilty. You're an accessory to the crime. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to stop the transgendered agenda? Uh, it's the body of Christ that is supposed to speak up and do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moses stood up to Pharaoh. Uh, Esther stood up to the king. Uh, the Peter and Paul stood up to the Sanhedrin. But if Jesus you have the Christ Spirit of God in you, you are going Jesus, to stand up Jesus, against people. Jesus Christ stood up against the Pharisees, not the government, not the Roman government. Mm-hmm. Daniel stood up against the government. Uh, you had leaders all throughout the Bible. You had the Apostle Paul standing up. Yeah. You had Peter standing up to the Sanhedrin. Right. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, you cannot be silent when there is injustice. Thank you, Jeff, for the Rescue call. Rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to death. 
Uh, it, it says in Leviticus 20, if somebody sacrifices a child to Moloch and you close your eyes, the Lord said, I will cut you off from Israel. All you have to do is close your eyes when they're killing a baby. If you're silent, you're cut off. Mordecai tells Esther, they said, if you are silent, then uh, there's a mandate to kill the Jews. If you're silent, God will raise up somebody else to save, save the Jews, but you're going to be guilty. The Apostle Paul, Acts 22, is talking to the Lord, says, when they shed the blood of thy servant Stephen, uh, I stood there silent, consenting to his death. Paul was silent, and he knew he was guilty for the death of Stephen. If the body of Christ is silent when all this wickedness goes on, they're inviting the judgment of God on their heads. Jesus says, if you allow one of these little ones that believes in me to stumble, better than a millstone we put around your head. Thank you, Jeff, so for the call. sitting there thinking that you're spiritual and you're silent and not trying to stop this transgendered agenda, you're going to have a millstone around your neck. We're going to squeeze one last call in, and uh, this is Dale out of Pennsylvania. You're on the air, Dale. Uh, yes. Um, I uh, have a question uh, that I'd like to... Uh, Very quickly. We're almost out of time. Uh, brother. Um, and that has to do with uh, why it is that... Uh, uh, Church doctrines that were taught and lived out for centuries um, in our particular generation have been um, wiped out uh, because they uh, supposedly because uh, these teachings were cultural. Okay, and tell you what, Dale, we're down to 35 seconds, and I want Bill to have time to respond. Bill, you talked about the infiltration in churches as well, and uh, many are compromising doctrine for the sake of entertainment or sake of largeness as well, that for sake of being acceptable. Right. Uh, 1600, you had Calvinist Puritans founding America. They had a covenant form of government. Everybody has to be involved, and that turned into our U.S. government. The word federal is covenant. Uh, but then the 1700s, you had revivalists saying, no, it's, it's more, it's a personal experience, which is good. But when you have this personal experience with Jesus, you're going to withdraw from going to bars and brothels and get involved in government. And so the idea of getting involved uh, goes back to the Calvinist Puritans. And these pietists said, don't get involved. And so in Germany, it turned into the two kingdom concept, the kingdom of the government, the kingdom of the church, the two don't touch Four centuries of that teaching allowed Jews to be put on train cars and go past the church crying for help. And the church's response was, that's the government doing that. We can't save the Jews, right? Because we're not supposed to get involved in government. Well, and we got to leave it there. Our guest, Bill Fetter, here today on the issue of how to brainwash a nation. Our time is gone. Thanks for joining us on Crosstalk. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from VCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from crosstalkamerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.